Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is October 12th, 2020. And here with me, of course, is my Jupiterian friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi there, April. Hi, Jen. From one Jupiterian to another. Yes, greetings. Well, we are Jupiterian people, the both of us, because I've got Sagittarius rising, which is ruled by Jupiter, and you've got Jupiter rising. Tell people what that means. Well, the rising sign, the cusp of the first house, the ascendant, the, specifically the degree of that house cusp is we call the ascendant. The front door. Yes, the front door. It's the front porch for your life. It is how people get to interact with you. It's the bag of tricks that you've assembled to go out and deal with the world. Sagittarius rising tries to make it fun and funny, and they try to disarm the world by making jokes and doing that sort of thing. But Sagittarius rising also says that this is a person who usually has a strong philosophy about life, and that's part of their coping mechanisms. And I think that's true of me. Even if I sometimes can be a little bit too Saturnian because my Jupiter conjuncts Saturn in my chart, <laughs> I think overall there is that part of me that says, even if I get really low, I always bounce back. Yeah. And that's how I think of Sagittarius is like Tigger mm. from Winnie the Pooh. It's just very bouncy and it just doing, 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 doing through like nice. Jupiter rising is somewhat similar. You have to consider the flavor of the sign it's in. And for you, it's in Scorpio, which is quite different from Sagittarius. But there is still a philosophy of life, a guiding philosophy that sits right there with the ascendant and says that you come across, I think with Jupiter on that point, as a person who is sage and someone who is always able to find the meaning in something. I think that that's true of Sagittarius and Jupiter, don't you think? It's true for myself, at least I can say. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do. That there's a reason for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can say that, you know, no matter how bad things get, we still want to see how the story turns out, you know? That's true. Yeah. I like Jupiter. I consider him a friend and a guide. But Jupiter, as I was telling you before, I think is a little different than Sagittarius specifically. And how so? Well, Sagittarius is that bright, upbeat, positive, enthusiastic, adventurous side of the symbol that we always think about. But there is to Jupiter, I think, if we go back to myth, we say there's a harder edge to Jupiter and a little tyrannical sometimes. It's not that they're one in the same. They certainly have a lot, you know, in common. But Jupiter is the king. You know, when people talk about Leo as being the king of beasts, I'm like, yeah, he's the king of the beasts. But in the human world, it's really Jupiter. And <laughs> to some extent, Sagittarius, that's the king. Yeah. You know, this is Zeus. This is the head honcho. And Jupiter wasn't that nice to a lot of the people in his life. So it's like his way or the highway. He knows how everything is and don't question him. So that's the downside, that's the shadow side of Jupiter that we have to battle against a little bit. But it is nice in that it gives us a strong sense of what life means and what our place in it is. And I think that brings us to our first aspect for the week. Right, because we have Jupiter sextiling Neptune on October 12th for the third and final time this year. The first time was February 20th. 
The second time was July 27th, so you can think back to that time and see if anything reverberates from the past for you. And it's really a lovely aspect to hang on to this week as we head into a pretty intense week astrologically. Yeah, it is. I don't know, you had in mind some things that you like to do that are of the nature of Jupiter and Neptune that might give people a something to meditate on. What were you thinking about? Ironically, one of them is meditation. Ah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so yes, people can meditate on that. Sure. But I also, I'm just someone that loves to get lost in a good book. I mentioned to you before we started recording that I used to do karate, and I'm not sure if that mm -hmm. would fit quite with Jupiter-Neptune. I think we want some Mars in there mm. for martial arts, probably. Maybe if you're doing karate while you're swimming. <laughs> Possibly. Because of the of, Neptune. <laughs> well, I think of yoga very much as a Jupiter-Neptune thing because it's also a spiritual practice. Oh. And Jupiter-Neptune feels a little groovier, I think. Okay. I like all of that. I mean, for me, definitely reading because it's getting lost in. That's what Neptune likes, is to get lost in something. The sextile is a very awake aspect. It really awakens us. Awake how? Well, it's not a trine. It's not just smooth sailing. Something comes along to grab your attention and kind of intrigue you a little bit. You know, the nice thing about Jupiter with Neptune is, I mean, they do help each other out in a sextile. Jupiter, as I said before, does have that tendency to go too far into a little bit of an intellectual arrogance of, I know everything. What I believe is the only way. My religion must be the law of the land. Neptune is the little voice that says, well, I have faith, but I also don't believe that I know everything about everything. So it's some healthy self-doubt. The problem is when the self-doubt gets a little too far out of control and then we don't feel that like we have anything to moor us in a healthy belief system that can sustain us. So many spiritual people align themselves with a church or a religion, you know, the dogma, the rules that can be very comforting and very useful. Because Neptune takes us into that unexplored territory where everything's a little bit loose. And if you think about when you were young and not completely confident in yourself yet, that's Neptune territory. We're just not quite sure. We're playing with a lot of ideas. Jupiter is helpful because it says, okay, but what about this, 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 and this? How about reading these helpful books? Go to these particular classes. This could really help you refine your thinking in this area and feel a little less overwhelmed by the waters of Neptune. A little less lost at sea. Exactly. So reading healthy books, taking some classes, this requires some kind of effort with a sextile, and that is how we make the most of the aspect. So reigning in that Neptune a little. I love the Sabian symbols for this one so much. What are they? The Sabian symbol for Jupiter at 19 Capricorn, a child of about five with a huge shopping bag. That's a nice image. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And Neptune's symbol is a master instructing his pupil. So on the one hand, we have this little child who on the plus side has a lot of stuff. That's Jupiter. That's where Jupiter it's is. It's Jupiter. There's lots there. Yeah. But it's a little too much for a child of about five. They need a little help with that. Right. So this is like starting out on a path in life. And, you know, I hate to bring everything back to our cats, but I watch a little Toby, especially, who has just got so much energy and so much playfulness and all of that. 
but he's kind of bouncing off the walls. And it's like he's not even in control of his own body. He's just so crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And this is like a little creature with a whole lot that they're trying to get a handle on. (laughs) So the master then arrives. We say that when the pupil is ready, the teacher will arrive. And that's the helpfulness this week of Jupiter and Neptune together, giving us more of a handle on all the many things that we have in our shopping bag. So hang on to that this week. Yeah, I like that. All right, so moving on, we have the sun opposite Mars on October 13th this week at 21 degrees, four minutes of Libra and Aries. And this will actually be a point in the cycle where Mars makes his closest approach to Earth. Mm -hmm. Mars is at his brightest. And if folks are interested in seeing it with their eyes, when you go out at sunset, look to the east. As the sun is setting in the west, Mars will be rising in the east. Mm -hmm. He stays in the sky all night. And then in the morning, it's opposite. Yeah, I've been seeing that last week Mm. with Mars conjunct the moon. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. And I was so proud of Mars for shining so brightly there and not getting completely swallowed up by the moon. That's great. Yeah. So what does this energy mean for us this week, April? Well, let's wade into it. So it's sun in Libra and it's Mars in Aries. And the Sabian symbol for the sun, 22 Libra is a child giving birds a drink at a fountain. And the Sabian symbol for Mars is the gate to the Garden of Desire. It does seem to speak of acts of kindness. It sure does. You know, the child trying to help the little birds. But of course, as I mentioned to you, the birds don't have to drink from a fountain. So she (laughs) doesn't probably need to help them quite to that degree versus pursuing something that just we want. And that's always the inherent tension between anything in Libra and anything in Aries. Are we going to do this together or do we need to pursue something individually, each of us? Right. We sort of stand at that fulcrum here and say, well, ideally, it would be nice if we could all be harmonious and get along. On the other hand, Mars and Aries is like, well, no, we're going to do it this way. And there is a lot of aggressive, angry tension around this Mars retrograde as it's involved in all these difficult aspects lately. So the sun made a conjunction with Mars back in September. September of 2019, a year ago. Oh, gosh, yes, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And the sun squared Mars on June 6th, 2020. We talked about that in episode 29, Neptune washing overall and the U.S. Pluto return. Right, I remember that Mm -hmm. because it was an intense week that week as well. Yeah. It was the week that we talked about George Floyd. Yeah, yeah. So that was intense. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, we're halfway through this Sun-Mars cycle now. And be interesting. I like the symbol for Aries, which is the gate to the Garden of Desire. It is quite charming. But, you know, you're at the gate. You're not in it. Right. And desire is, I think of specifically Mars, Aries, impulse. Yeah. is the desire for something, the desire to perhaps in this case do things your own way, have what you want. That desire has been thwarted and frustrated ever since Mars turned retrograde. And now as Mars is coming into territory with Jupiter and Saturn and Pluto again, it's very hard. We're having to delay a lot of gratification, that garden of desire. As you say, we pause at the gate, but are we really ready to walk through it yet? Because the sun's over there and saying, well, how about helping out some others, some creatures, some people that don't necessarily have what they need. 
we record, of course, a week in advance. And I think they're trying to come to terms with another stimulus package in Congress. So this could be connected in some way with that as well. Might happen this week. I guess we'll see. Yeah. But Sun Opposed Mars this week just basically says that there is a little more aggravation. And I think Anne Ordley said that the planets are cranky, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. last week. And it kind of continues into this week when you see oppositions and squares. And that's just what we need as we go into another Mercury retrograde season, Jen. Let's throw some more molasses in there. Yeah, why, why Try not? to move forward. <laughs> that's on October 13th at 6.05 p.m. Pacific at 11.40 Scorpio. Mercury turns retrograde. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Another one. And yeah. Mercury entered its shadow period around September 23rd when it was at 25.54 of Libra. And it will be retrograde from October 13th through November 3rd, which is the U.S. Election Day. Mercury will be stationing on the U.S. Election Day. Yeah, because that worked out so well in 2000. In 2000 was the Al Gore-Bush election with the hanging chads. And I believe the Supreme Court wound up deciding that one, didn't they? Mm Mm-hmm. So we're just going to have to um, see how that all plays out. Right. So Mercury retrograde, I think by now people pretty much know the drill, which is it's a better time for revisiting things that have been initiated previously rather than trying to forge ahead on new projects and that kind of thing. That sort of goes along with the Mars retrograde, too. I mean, having both of those symbols retrograde, although Saturn and Pluto have now gone direct, which we talked about last week. Now Mercury and Mars are retrograde, and they just caution against moving too quickly because you don't necessarily have all the facts. Now our little Mercury and Scorpio friend, who's such a great sleuthing Mercury, is trying to get to the bottom of things and trying to get the facts, and things are revealed along the way while Mercury is in Scorpio. But its retrograde period is a really interesting time to be (laughs) having an election, Mm -hmm. especially one that for the most part is going to be conducted by mail which is ruled by Mercury. Okay. Mm, we'll see. Yeah. It's on the Sabian symbol and embassy ball, which just in a very vague sense brings in, in this idea of the higher halls of power and influence. Yeah. I also think about how an embassy is a place where you feel at home in foreign land. Mm-hmm. And of course, a ball is a dance. So if you put those together, you can just kind of ask yourself this week, how can you feel at home even when you're far away, either physically or in your mind? And how can you maybe bring in others to celebrate with you? That's very good advice. I mean, most of us are not going any place real far at the moment. Maybe it's a journey of the mind. It almost certainly is. <laughs> the mind travels to the underworld mm. and has a ball. Ha ha, has a ball. So here is Mercury retrograde, and it's not the end of the world, and it's not all terrible, and it's harder usually Mercury retrograde when you are trying to be too bound to chronology and to calendars that say you must do this at a particular time in a particular way. It doesn't really work that way. It works a little more like Neptune, which is you have to kind of let it go in its own way in its own time and just expect there to be delays and it doesn't have to be the end of the world. Very good. We have past episodes about Mercury retrograde. You might want to revisit. Episode 12, Mercury retrograde. Where Where are are my my pants? (laughs) Best title ever. (laughs) But certainly we will have had another one. I'll post one or two in the show notes for you. Thank you, Jen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. My pleasure.
Well, the sun is getting a little feisty this week. It's going to square both Saturn and Pluto because we certainly need both of those in one week. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the aspect of Pluto, which is on October 15th, 3.11 a.m., 22.30 of Libra and Capricorn. The Sabian symbol for the sun in Libra is one of my favorites, Chanticleer, which is just a rooster you know, with a beautiful, loud, bracing voice as the sun is coming up in the morning. So to me, it's about speaking clearly, being heard, not always having the most popular opinion, but be willing to use your full voice and get the word out there. The Sabian symbol for Capricorn is a soldier receiving two awards for bravery and combat. It's spending a lot of time on that degree, so we're revisiting that symbol a lot. And that degree, again, was the degree of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction back in January. Yeah. So go back to episodes 6, 7, and 8 if you want to hear more about that. So the Chanticleer is a rooster that calls out in the morning. And then the other symbol is about recognizing bravery and the struggle in ourselves and others. How do we affirm life and joy while we're also acknowledging the fact that there's struggle and there's darkness? I like that. Mm -hmm. And also maybe do it in connection with someone else because it's in the sun's in Libra. Everything this month we can just assume should be done with <laughs> others because it's Libra. It's Libraville. Always put the ending. Do it in connection with someone else. Always. Always. So it's not just one Chanticleer. It's got to be two of them sitting there. That's great. Uh, hollering out into the void. The sun square Pluto is one of the darker aspects you can have because sun and Pluto are so different from each other. The sun is about the life force, and Pluto is about not considering yourself all that important as an individual, but rather as being a cog in a very big wheel. And the point is to align yourself with the right wheel, with the right big issues and movements that are symbolized by something like Pluto. So pick your battles wisely? Well, yeah, and make sure that you're picking a battle that's not just about you or about you and your partner, because it's Sun and Libra, mm -hmm. but rather finding your way within the current environment of power and the structures that support it. So it's about fighting that, really. Yeah. Fight the power this week. And maybe that will go well, maybe it won't. But I will say the Sun is not as strong as it could be in Libra because it's in the sign of its fall. Okay. So we have to sort of be aware, I think, of the limits of our personal strength and power, and yet keep fighting for the things that we believe in. That's good advice. Yeah, it's not a great aspect. I mean, it's a bummer aspect, really, but it goes relatively quickly. Yeah, okay. It's just a couple of days either side of it, and we'll get through it. Everything's a transit. Everything is a transit. It will pass, as my teacher used to say. It's a transit. It will pass. I think she actually had it embroidered on a throw pillow somewhere. <laughs> well, Jen. April. Do you know what time it is? What time is it? Moonwatch. Moonwatch. Play it. <laughs> Moonwatch. What can you tell us about the moon this week? Well, we have a new moon at 23 degrees and 53 minutes of Libra. Okay. A Libra new moon on October 16th at 12.31 p.m. Pacific time. This Libra likes that. Yes. And ironically, it's on the Sabian symbol, a third wing on the left side of a butterfly. And I say ironically because there's nothing Libra hates more 
than asymmetry. You know, they like things to be balanced. So it's really, really sad for our Libra and friends. That's very funny. Third wing on the left side of a butterfly. A little more assistance there. Things are just a little bit, I mean, they're pretty, but they're a little bit off kilter. Libra's not about three. No, it's like, well, maybe four. If you want to give us a couple of funny little extra wings, <laughs> one on each side, we can go with that. Oh. But it's a tough new moon, man. It really is. It kind of is. Yeah. yeah, the sun and the moon are opposed Mars and squared Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto. So this is kind of carrying over from last week. We talked about that last quarter moon, Grand Cross, on October 9th. Right. In that chart, every cardinal sign was represented by a planet. In this chart, we don't have anything in Cancer. Yeah, this is a T-square, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. When cardinal planets especially get moving in something dynamic like a T-square, a lot of energy is, it's like, just imagine a great wind being created. And there's an exit point in a T-square that goes to the sign of that modality, which is not represented by a planet. So here we have things in Libra, we have things in Aries, we have things in Capricorn, we have nothing in Cancer. So it says the way out, the way to stop the wheel is to get into a Cancerian mode. And how would somebody do that? Well, you know, you spend time at home, you do some baking, you play with your pets, you do something nice to the place where you live. You hang out with your family. And it won't necessarily all go super smoothly because once you step into the Cancerian mode, all of these other things come at you too. But it's a way to kind of step out of the wheel and to perhaps provide a little balance to it. Yeah, the thing about squares is they're kind of hard to avoid, right? Yeah, you really can't avoid squares. Yeah. You don't really avoid any of the hard aspects, but the conjunction is interesting because you don't really have the perspective on what's even going on. And an opposition is it's often played out through somebody else in your life. But the square is, yeah, it's a couple of things that want different things, but they have to come to a resolution. And in fact, if you do cancer, doesn't that just spin the wheel harder? Well, it seems to me that it would fill the void. It's a place where you can go with the flow and not get run over, I guess. Let's hang on to that Jupiter-Neptune sextile during this new moon. I like that. Yeah. The other thing that's happening in this chart is an opposition between Venus and Neptune, which we get once a year. Okay. And what will that look like? <laughs> it will look like me working on a lecture on Neptune and relationships that I put together. I'll link that in the show notes. <laughs> Absolutely do. Because I'll have plenty to say on this subject after I've prepared that lecture. Excellent. Well, when Venus and Neptune come together, it's always about, do we really know the people that we're in relationship with? Oh, because Neptune makes things cloudy, foggy, fuzzy, nebulous. Exactly. And do we really know what is valuable and what isn't and what we are worth? And so it comes down to money things, too. So anytime you get those two together, and I have them in a trine in my chart, which has its lovely attributes. I think that it's very creative and it's, you know, I do have a lot of love and, you know, affection to give and all of that. But I had some very, very awful Neptunian relationships early on because where Venus and Neptune are coming together, you're just kind of like, it feels so good you want to believe what you want to believe. And when Venus is opposed Neptune, it is that moment in the cycle along with the squares where you step back and go, whoa, is this what I'm involved in? And then sometimes we very quickly say, 
oh, no, 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 it's not like that at all. Everything's fine. I'm going to go back and, you know, just be in my lovely haze of Neptune. But it is a moment to evaluate where kind of the veil drops from our eyes and we go, oh, what's that? That's going to be interesting. I would say this week there is a lot of work that has to be done with so much Mars being activated by the sun and moon and everything impacting Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto altogether. It is really time to step up in your life and resolve some things that have really been hard to resolve. And they'll probably be obvious, right? What you need to work on might be obvious because it's all squares and oppositions. Yeah, it's not subtle. It's not some secret. No, and it's not new. Mm, That's a good point. This is stuff we've been working on all year. Yeah. It's just the critical moment in the cycle. Right. This goes back to January or late December whenever we had... Oh, let's see. I think Mars was with the sun and all of that Capricorn stuff at one point. I think you're referring to January, probably, Mm -hmm. when the sun came through and hit that Saturn-Pluto point. Mm -hmm. There was a lot happening in that house that week. There was a lot. And there's a lot happening now. And it's just a continuation of the same story. But, you know, we have been talking, thanks to our friend Celeste, who wrote to us about the lunar phase families. I'm really looking at each new moon quite differently now because I'm realizing it's not just a month-long thing. This is the initiation of a lunar phase family that will carry for two and a half years. So we'll have plenty of time to work with these symbols and with our homework that shows up in this chart. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's not just a month-long process. Exactly. So that brings us to Sun Square Saturn on October 18th at 6.58 a.m. Pacific Time, 25 degrees, 38 minutes of Libra and Capricorn. Okay, so the Sun has been coming through, has been squaring the Capricorn stuff, Jupiter, then Pluto, and now it has moved on to Saturn. Yes. And what does this mean for us in terms of what's happening astrologically with it? We begin to feel aspects when the faster-moving planet, in this case the Sun, enters the sign where it will eventually make the aspect to the slower-moving planet, in this case Saturn. So from the time the Sun entered Libra, September 22nd, mm -hmm, at the equinox, that is when we began to already draw in the spirit of Sun-square-Saturn. What happens specifically with the Sun-square-Saturn is it's like you're planting a seed in very nasty, compacted soil, and it just can't flourish. Huh, interesting. And it will work hard, you know. You could start a project and work very, very hard at it and really give it your best, and it just never takes off like you want it to. Is that just for the closing square, or is that true of an opening square as well? Any square. Any old square. The opposition's not as bad. The conjunction's not as bad. In my experience, the square is pretty miserable. Okay. The Sabian symbol for the sun at this square is an eagle and a large white dove turning one into another. You know, an eagle is a bird of prey and a dove is the bird of peace. And it is them trying to become a little more like each other, which is one way of creating balance. I like that. And the Sabian symbol for 26 Capricorn, which we visited many times, is a water sprite. The sun was conjunct Saturn on January 13th. It made a square to Saturn on April 20th, made an opposition on July 20th. And here we are at the closing square, and the next conjunction will be in January. So the struggle is winding down. But like I say, you know, it's not an old struggle. We've been dealing with this one all year since the conjunction of Saturn and Pluto. 
This is like the end of childbirth, you know, where you're, you go into labor, you get the heavy contractions, you can't go back, you must go forward. Right. And it's terrifying and it's hard, but you have to find a way to summon the strength and the will to do that. And with the sun in Libra, maybe we do have a supportive other person that can help us push and breathe and keep our consciousness together because this is hard work. This is a hard week. Yeah, for sure. Well, finally, we have an, the opposition between Venus and Neptune when we talked about a little bit already. Yep, because that's happening. Is that the same day as the new moon? Well, two days later. It's on October 18th at 7.49 a.m. Pacific time. Okay. And the Sabian symbol for Venus is a swimming race. And I was reading what Linda Hill, who's a Sabian symbol specialist, had to say about that. And she made the distinction between, you know, when you're running a race and when you're treading water, when you're just kind of like playing in water as opposed to really swimming and really being in competition with other people. And the Sabian symbol for Neptune, we're back to a master instructing his pupils. So this is, you know, we get the image of someone coaching us from the sidelines in a race. Hopefully it's a coach like Ted Lasso. <gasps> He's the best. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you can hear more about our intense love for Ted Lasso in episode 50, <laughs> where we uh, welcomed new imaginary sponsor, Apple TV Plus, <laughs> and the marvelous Ted Lasso. So this yes. goes back to the Venus-Neptune conjunction that we had on January 27th. Then there was a square three times while Venus was retrograde in May, on May 3rd, May 20th, and then on July 27th. Now we're at the opposition, and we'll have the final square at the very end of the year on December 30th. You know, we talked about just a few minutes ago during the new moon about how Venus and Neptune can make us question, you know, the people that we're in relationship with or our values and that kind of thing. I think that's very true. But I do like the Sabian symbols here as saying we're not as removed from reality maybe as we think we are. The nice thing about Neptune in relationship, I know, is that it means that the people involved are trying to really believe the best about each other, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Without some Neptune, you just can't stay in a relationship for 20, 30, 40 years. It's too hard to wake up. It would be too hard to wake up every morning with somebody that you don't believe is a good and worthwhile person, even if they're not always acting like that on a given day. So this says moving our relationship with others into a more supportive role where we're encouraging each other to do more and to do better and to learn and all of the rest of it. I like that. It feels like we're in the home stretch here over the next two, three months, that this is the closing act. And in December and in January, a number of planets are changing signs. If we can get through this next few months, hopefully there's something brighter on the other side of it. Well, there definitely is something different on the other side of it. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, we don't know. I mean, yeah. I tend to have a better feeling about Aquarius than I do about Capricorn, where all of Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto have been. And Jupiter and Saturn, of course, are getting ready to break up that party and move on into Aquarius together, holding hands. Right. And I like Aquarius because there was a little more of a, a spirit of the new and of a little bit of hopefulness. But I think that's my Jupiter and Aquarius talking because I'm not sure that's the real nature of Aquarius. We're going to have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I think I said in our episode, when Saturn originally moved into Aquarius and then later it retrograded and moved out. 
But I remember saying that the people that I know, and I know so many of them was Saturn and Aquarius because they were people just a year younger than me, two, three years. Their great strength is in building community. And we are really at such a point right now where, you know, I mentioned to Johnny this morning, we were taking a walk. I said, people aren't even waving to each other anymore Mm. like they were in the beginning of the year. I see. And we're really very separated from each other in a way that we have not been before. So I think Saturn going into Aquarius and staying there for good, though, and especially with Jupiter there, should bring us ways of reconnecting and moving forward as a society. And I think that's exciting. Very nice. Now, we did have one aspect that we were going to talk about that we realized we had a lot on our show sheet and that technically this is happening at the very beginning of next week, and that's Mars's square with Jupiter. For most of the world, that is. Not for you personally on the Pacific coast, but for most of the world, it happens the next day, Mm -hmm. that next Monday. We're just going to hold it over for next week. But in case anybody here on the West Coast was like, what about that Mars-Jupiter aspect? Well, I can say, well, we're going to get to you. We'll talk about it in episode 52. We will. Now that is everything on our show sheet, Jen. Have we done it? We've done it once again, my friend. (laughs) Episode 51. We've got 51 episodes under our belt and we are chugging right along. We are chugging right along. We went everywhere from Jupiter to Pluto in this one. And it was a, a little bit of a rocky road here and there. But we thank you all for listening to the Big Sky Astrology podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to shows like this rate and review the podcast, and we hope that you'll help us spread the word. Tell a friend. Share it on social media. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. We're super grateful to everyone who showed support during our recent podathon. So each week, as you know, we'll be thanking one of you by name. April, who do we have this week? This week, we want to give a shout out to Susan Brown. Yay, Susan! <laughs> Tell us about Suze. Suze is my sister-in-law who's been very supportive in regards to this podcast. In fact, you might recall, April, she was on some of our episode artwork that you created many months ago. Yes, with the flag, (laughs) the beautiful flag cake, right? Yeah, that's Suze. Ah, Suze. Well, thank you. Love you so much, Suze. Thanks so much for your support of the Potathon. Thank you, Suze. We love that. Yes, we do. And thank you so much for listening. You know, probably before Jen got involved with this, she never would have been listening to an astrology podcast. So I think that's true. I don't think she would have. And by the way, Suze really likes the music on our podcast. She was a music teacher forever and ever and ever and ever. High school music teacher, recently retired. She loves the music that we've selected. And she also loved the potathon music, our goofy, wacky potathon music. I love all of our music too. So I really (laughs) thank you for that, Suze. We love that vote of confidence every time. I queue up an episode and I hear that intro. I love that music so much. I never get sick of it. I don't either. It's very big sky sounding. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you didn't get a chance to support us during our potathon, our recent potathon, you can always make a donation at our website, bigskyastropod.com. And if you donate $5 or more, we will invite you to our special episodes for the equinoxes and solstices. Well, that is it for us this week. Join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. 
That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.